Well, it's great to be with you all today. Thanks for taking part of your weekend to be here together. If you're in the room or in the atrium, online, it's just good to be here this Thanksgiving weekend. You know, Rudyard Kipling was one of the most awarded English journalists ever, and also one of the wealthiest. In fact, a reporter said to him one day, he said, Mr. Kipling, somebody estimated the value of your writing, and it comes to a, you've made about $100 per word from your writing. He said, I have a $100 bill. I'm going to give it to you if you'll give me one of your $100 words. So Mr. Kipling took the $100 bill, stuck it in his pocket, and said, thanks. <laughs> thanks is a $100 word, isn't it? Because gratitude is so valuable. And it's Thanksgiving season when we think about gratitude a lot more. Except there's one thing about the Thanksgiving holiday is there's another holiday that just overshadows Thanksgiving, right? What is it? Black Friday, you're right. <laughs> John Tierney, the writer of the New York Times, stated that Thanksgiving is the most psychologically correct holiday of the entire year. He says that gratitude and happiness are close emotional approximations of each other. Grateful people are happier people. It's just true. And are we truly grateful, are we? I mean, if, you're, if our friends and family made a list of the five most grateful people they know, would we be on the list? Would Crossroads be known as a grateful church? Would Colorado be a grateful state? Are we a grateful nation? Robert Hughes wrote a book called The Culture of Complaint. And his thesis is that we live in a culture where our perspective, where we perceive ourselves as being entitled to having all of our wants and desires met as part of our American birthright. And if they're not met, we whine and complain and moan and groan. That's his thesis. I mean, I don't know if that fits or not, but that's according to him. A few years ago, a friend and I were unloading food at the food bank from our food drive. And I picked up a jar of peanut butter and I said to my friend, just think, one day a kid is going to pick up this jar of peanut butter and he's going to say to his mom, Mom, I'm so grateful that somebody gave us this gift of peanut butter. And my friend said, no, he's not. He's going to look at the peanut butter and go, Mom, is that all we have to eat is peanut butter? One of the top songs of the second millennium was by Mick Jagger. And it was called what? I can't get no... We're hard to satisfy a lot of times, aren't we? And even though this week was Thanksgiving, when the idea of gratitude is being paraded, the gravitational pull of our lives is towards ingratitude, towards discontent, towards self-preoccupation. And I can be that way, can't you? I can. Everything, it has everything to do with how we see things. How many of you have ever had pink eye? Yeah, it's a disease, it's a physical disease. But this time of year sometimes, it's easy to get the disease of stink eye. Isn't it? It is. In fact, I have some illustrations of stink eye right here. Here's four quick pictures. There you go. Ooh. Little Kramer stink eye there. And one more. Ah. Stink eye. We get it, don't we? Turn to the person next to you and give them your best stink eye. Just do it. It's so easy to get stink eye this time of year, especially. Like towards drive other drivers. Uh, yeah, uh, I hear some, yeah. Why is it that people who drive slower than us are always called a moron 
And people who drive faster than us are always called an idiot. It's easy to get stink-eyed towards a family member who turns every discussion political. Toward those house guests who leave thoughtless, enormous messes. Toward the people who refuse to offer to help in the kitchen. Toward those who never, ever bother to somehow get around to saying thank you. Well, see, stink-eye is not a condition of the eye. It's a condition of the heart. It's 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 ingratitude. And Mick wasn't the first one to sing that song. They had another band about 3,000 years ago, a band of Israelites. And they were in the, in, the, in, in the Old Testament and the story is found in Exodus 15 through 17. And the nation of Israel had just experienced the defining event of the entire Old Testament. They'd been delivered out of slavery where they'd been for 400 years in Egypt. And they just experienced the defining miracle of the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea, where a million Israelites walk through on dry ground. How long do you think they were grateful for those events? Exodus 15, 22 says, for three days they traveled in the desert without water. So they grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? We can't get no satisfaction. And so God gives them clean, fresh water. And then in Exodus 16, the very next chapter, a few weeks later, they complain again. And in verse 2, it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled. So God sends them a gift of food, manna. And they ate, they ate manna. Day after day, they ate manna, baked manna, manna chiladas, manna salad, manna cotti, banana cream pie. They had it all. And they got tired of the gift of manna. So they started singing the same old song. And God responds again in chapter 16. He says, I've heard the what? The grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you'll eat meat. And in the morning, you'll eat bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And so now it's an all-you-can-eat quail buffet every evening. But it's not long before they're singing the same old song. Next chapter, 17, and the text says, they quarreled with Moses. And in verse 3, they grumbled against Moses. Ten times in three short chapters, they complain. And even though that story happened 3,000 years ago, it can happen in your house and mine very often, can't it? We can just complain. We, we can become ungrateful. And that, that stink eye, the toxic, toxic effects of ingratitude can infect us. And sometimes, no matter how good we have it, how much we have, we can become ungrateful. Let me give you a little gratitude inventory here. See if any of these statements are true for you. I regularly wish I had a different job. I have a less than positive attitude when I'm at work. I'm consistently disappointed in my relationships, whether they're with my parents, my spouse, my friends, my kids, my coworkers. People around me don't meet my emotional needs, and I'm just a little resentful about that. I live in the express lane of life. I often feel distracted and simply don't take the time to be grateful. Any of those statements fit you? Here's a few more. I've worked hard to earn my place in life. And though others have helped me a little bit, for the most part, I did it myself. Another one. I'm jealous of the good things people around me have that they seem to be enjoying. One more. I'm losing a sense of hope about life and I'm becoming more skeptical and cynical as I grow older. Any of those describe you? If we don't do something, ingratitude will poison our relationships, our work, our mental, spiritual, and physical health. 
So what's the treatment? How do we protect, how do we treat these effects of ingratitude? Well, the, the, the antidote is in Exodus 15, and it's another song, and it's one that Moses wrote this time. Only this time it's not, I can't, go net a, I can't get known its satisfaction. The song is more like, now thank we all our God. And had Moses and his people managed to learn this song and sing it every single day of their lives, their whole future would have been different. The kinds of relationships they had with each other would have been different. How they relate in the world would have been much more positive. They, they would have been happier people. And if we can make these four shifts, we will too. And here's the first shift. You can write it down. From transactional gratitude to gift gratitude. All right, I'll explain what that is. The normal cycle of gratitude looks often like this. There's a benefactor who has some things. And this person gives a gift to someone who receives it, the beneficiary, who then expresses some sort of gratitude to the benefactor. That's kind of how it goes. But oftentimes it it's a feel, feels a little like this. We receive something from someone and we feel a little obligated to say the thank you, right? And so we, in fact, if we don't, the next time we see that person, we actually apologize because we never did this part. We never said thank you. And we can get into this kind of cycle, like, like this is some sort of payback for what that person did for us. And if, if the benefactor actually expects gratitude, the question then is, was it really a gift? Was it really? One time I was at a meeting at CSU and uh, there was a person that came into the meeting and got to chatting with him, and he was really down on his life and on his luck. And so I gave him a ride to his house, and on the way, we stopped at the grocery store, loaded up a grocery cart full of groceries, about 80 bucks. And we got to his house, I said, oh, by the way, all these groceries are for you. Help me carry them to your door. And so we carried them all up to the door. And then we stood there and looked at each other, and he looked at me, and it was kind of this awkward moment, and I said, hey, nice to meet you. And I walked back to my car. And on my way back to my car, I thought, he didn't even say thank you. And this thought that I think God put in my mind, because I've never forgotten it, God seemed to say to me, is that why you did it? To get the thank you? Was it, Dennis, was it really a gift if you're expecting this? And that's called the transactional model of gratitude. Yes, we should be grateful. We should. But if the response is out of duty, the gratitude factor is actually quite low. And the gift and grace factor may almost be absent. And if the benefactor expects gratitude, some sort of payback, was it really a gift? And there's, so this is a moral obligation model, the quid pro quo, good for good model of gratitude. And it's a kind of gratitude, but it's pretty low grade. And unfortunately, this model is often followed by families and communities and even nations with each other and can be used to manipulate and intimidate and control. True gifts come no strings attached. Grace and gift 
can come from the same Greek word in the New Testament. And that's what makes it a gift. There's no strings. Devoid of expectations. Maybe that's why we sing amazing grace. Gifts are given out of a heart of want to. We just wanted to do it. And genuine gratitude comes from the same place. I just wanted to say thank you. I didn't have to. I wanted to. And that's why the Israelites grumbled and complained so much. Their focus was on this model. Their focus was on what God could give them, water or manna. And somehow they were owed this, entitled to this. And the giver of these gifts wasn't even acknowledged at all. There's a quote from a book called Gratitude. The standard model of gratitude is a closed cycle of gift and return bound by social obligation and indebtedness. In the closed cycle, the beneficiary is dependent on the benefactor in a way that feels demeaning. Banishing transaction and substituting grace, the picture of gratitude shifts. Gifts are the nature of the universe itself, given by God through the natural order. All benefactors are beneficiaries, and all beneficiaries are benefactors. Gifts come before we're givers. We recognize them. We receive them. We pass them on. We share them. And gratitude is a mutual reliance upon shared gifts. In other words, we're all the receivers. We're all the beneficiaries to begin with. And this whole system is built on gift. It all comes as gift to start with and when that's our, the way we function from, our whole life is changed. It's, it's different. I mean, how different would your day be if this morning, or to, better yet, tomorrow morning, your alarm clock goes off, 5 a.m. What's the first thought in your mind? What if your first thought was, God, thank you for that alarm clock. It reminds me that I'm alive. And you look over, and if there's someone with you, you could go, thank you for this person. That's, that's, that's sleeping with me. God, thank you for this person. And your first thought as you wandered in, stumbled into the kitchen, wasn't like, God, I have coffee. It's, coffee is such a gift. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, here, here. And what if those little ones in your house were up five times last night or threw up five times last night? God, thank you for those little people in my house. And you go to work and you go, thank you, Lord, that, that I have tasks to do today and I could do them. And that we begin to, to, to experience life first as gift, as receivers of these amazing gifts and our role is to pass them on as gifts to other people with no expectation that they might say thank you to us. It's gonna change. It would change us would change our church, our community, our world if we began to live life in that way. But it's gonna require a shift. Here's shift number two. From techniques of gratitude to practitioners of gratitude. Techniques are practical methods of accomplishing something. We learn all sorts of techniques. Techniques of driving, doing math, studying, managing money, parenting, making meals, staying healthy. And learning these techniques allow us the basic capabilities to be organized and productive. Most of us will not become experts or practitioners in all those areas. We will not simultaneously become expert teachers, mathematicians, investment bankers, child psychologists, five-star chefs, and our own personal doctor or 
trainer. Exodus 15, I mentioned, is a song that Moses wrote. Verse one says this, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. And there's all these kinds of words of gratitude that they express to God, which is important. But three days later, they're whining and complaining. They hadn't moved from the words of gratitude to genuine gratitude. And we do this with our kids. Or you were taught this when you were growing up. Your pa- somebody would give you a gift. Your parents say, would say what? Now say, thank you. We actually taught our kids a little song. It goes like this. There are two little magic words that can open any door for, with ease. One little word is please, and the other little word is thank you. I did this with my granddaughter yesterday, and she said, and the other little word is, she goes, you're welcome. <laughs> Our kids became Pavlovian with that. We'd be at somebody else's house. They'd give them something. we just have to go, da, da, da. And they'd go, thank you. Thank you. It was like automatic. And the hope of techniques isn't to get, wasn't to get our kids to autopilot the words. We wanted our kids for that technique to sink into their heart and come from that place. Psalm 138 says, I will praise you, Lord, with my heart, not just my words. Psalm 91 says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my what? With all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. And most of us learned the basic techniques of gratitude. But our hope was that it would become more than a set of skills, more than a set of words, that we would become practitioners, that gratitude would become a natural and normal way of engaging God and engaging our world. We start with techniques, but as we practice them over and over, it begins to grow and sprout in deep in our hearts, and we begin to see and experience the world differently from the place and the soil of gratitude and understanding that all life comes to us as gift. And as we're grateful, as we're grateful, and day after day, year after week, we could say thank you. Instead of having to remind ourselves and other people, what do you say, what do you say, what do you say? It becomes just a part of who we are. Gratitude becomes deeply rooted in our hearts. Here's a quote in Winnie the Pooh about Piglet. Piglet noticed that even though he had a very small heart, it could hold a rather large amount of gratitude. If Piglet can become a practitioner, I think we can. Here's shift number three. I gotta express this one. From thank you to thank you. That one. Back to the book of Exodus. Day one, when God provides them with food. They wake up, they walk out of their tent and they look and all of the ground is this wafer looking thing and they're amazed and they pick it up and they eat it. Ooh, whoa, they've never tasted anything like it. Never in their lives. It was good. They looked all over the ground and people go, what is it? What is it? What is it? Which is the Hebrew word, manna. They never gave it a name. It was always, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? Manna. And it was everywhere. And on day two, they came out. And again, the amazement. Whoa, it's here again today. And week two, they come out of their tent and they go, oh, there is manna today again. Thank you very much. And by month two, they're complaining about it. 
They, and by year two, the grumbling has begun. And it just continues and continues. In economics, this is called the law of diminishing returns. And it happens in everywhere. You know what it's like? You get a gift. Like a number of years ago, I got a gift of a brand new cell phone. Here it is. It was an amazing gift of technology. Look at this. It has a hidden keyboard. Whoa. It even had a touch screen. Couldn't access the internet, but this was an amazing gift. And I was so happy to have this. So grateful. Until I got this one. Look at this, huh? Android phone. Whoa. Access the internet, the whole thing. And also, look at this one. Da, 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 da. Hidden keyboard. Pretty cool. Amazing gift. I took this two months ago. My wife got her first cell phone. We're kind of frugal. So I took this phone in and asked the salesperson, could we use this phone? She gave me the stink eye. And she handed it back to me across the counter like it was a dead mouse she was holding by the tail. We can be that way, can't we, with gratitude? It just takes more and more to impress us, more and more. We complain about what's going on. And, and pretty soon, everything, we have to be wowed in order to be grateful. And the next time, that wow isn't good enough, so it has to be here. It has to be here. And the problem with that view of law of demeanor, of gratitude, is our hearts actually shrink. Our hearts shrink. We don't become more grateful. We become less grateful people. In the Lord's Prayer, there's a line, Matthew 6, 11, Give us today our what? Daily bread. Daily bread is about as basic as you can get. And on day one, we're thankful for daily bread. But by week one, it's got to be a croissant. And by month one, it's got to be focaccia. And by couple months in, it's got to be brochette. I don't even know if you say that right. I just looked at it. I don't know how you say that. <laughs> but when God gives us manna, just bread, those simple, ordinary gifts that sustain us, that nurture us, that are often so unnoticed, when we cultivate a sense of gratitude about the normal, small gifts that's when gratitude deepens and expands. Because our response doesn't always have to be this enormous, thanks. It could be dozens and dozens and dozens of daily, thank you, God, for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. you know, last weekend, our children's ministry team handed out a sheet of paper for Thanksgiving week with some things to be thankful for for every day of the week. And I didn't know they'd done this till I went to my grandkids' house. And they, it was laying on the kitchen counter. And they had it filled out. And so here's uh, one from my son's game. Some of it, like on, on Thursday, he's thankful for food. Pretty basic. Church. Pretty basic. Uh, on Wednesday, I'm alive. The next one, my body. Body. I like that one. Friday, he's glad he's, he's written. Took me a while to figure that one out. I was particularly amused by, well, not yet. I, I thought, when I saw this list, I thought, these are normal, everyday things. Things to be grateful for, thankful for, normal things. And then I looked on Monday, and I saw this. It was a close-up of Monday. 
I'm thankful for my grandma. And Tuesday... I don't know what I did on Monday, but I got scratched off the list for some reason. This week, I started a new list in my journal. It's called Small Things. And I wrote another dozen things this morning. Just small things I'm grateful for. Thank you. Thank you-sized things. Because when we begin to develop that kind of gratitude... When something bigger comes along, the amount of emotion and joy we feel is just expanded. And that's the way we expand our hearts. And that's a shift, isn't it? Here's shift number four. From circumstantial gratitude to resilient gratitude. And this shift is the hardest of all to make. Because sometimes gratitude hides in the difficulties, in the pain, in the failures, in the discouraging parts of our lives. Like divorce. When you experience that and your heart just wants to shut down. Or when the diagnosis comes, it's not the news you wanted to hear at all. When you get laid off from your job or you can't find a job, When your plans don't work out the way you had hoped and dreamed and worked so hard for and they just didn't work. When you pray day after day after day and God just doesn't seem to come through in the way you want, in the time that you wanted. When week after week after week it just seems like the hits keep on coming, loss after loss, and you can't catch a break. Listen to the sheer genius of Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians when he writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and the tough one, give thanks in all circumstances. Not just when things are going well, in all circumstances. And all the psychological and relational data support the utter brilliance of this approach. One of the world's leading researchers on gratitude, Robert Emmons, summarizes the physical, emotional, and spiritual benefits of being grateful people. Here's the list. Increased self-esteem, boosted creativity, improved academic and athletic performance. Grateful people sleep better, are less depressed and tired, recover more quickly from medical conditions, have a lower risk of heart disease. Gratitude drives out toxic emotions like resentment, anger, lust, and envy. Grateful people have a unique ability to heal, energize, and transform their own lives and others. Now notice this verse doesn't say be thankful for all things. We should never tell people to be grateful for abuse or exploitation or injustices. We should never express gratitude for the bad choices of other people. Bad choices are never gifts. I read this, gratitude does not dispel the mystery of suffering and evil in the world. It actually deepens it. It's not easy to live in a world where there's shootings that happen on a regular basis. Where fathers are convicted, life in prison for utter atrocities in their families. It's hard to live in a world where fires just rage through communities and leave nothing but ashes and tears. 
Gratitude is no panacea against these acts of violence and destruction. And yet Paul still writes, give thanks in all things. When life pushes us to the depths where pain and disappointment and suffering and confusion live, and we find ourselves in places we don't want to be, that's a place we can also learn a whole different kind of gratitude. It's called resilient gratitude. Henry Nouwen, Catholic writer, wrote this, to be grateful for the good things that happens in our life, that's easy. But to be grateful for all of our lives, to develop gratitude in all circumstances. He said the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections requires hard spiritual work. I mean, think of it, think of our emotional lives as gardens. And part of the garden has this soil that sooner or later we're gonna have some of this. It's this, it's this difficulty, it's this suffering, it's this sadness, it's, it's the part of our garden where life is not going so well. And if we can learn to experience gratitude even when we're in this spot, then it opens up life in a whole brand new way for us. It develops a depth of the kind of gratitude And a lot of times when we're in this spot, negative emotions, there's a lot of them. Resentment, sometimes bad anger. There's good anger, but this is bad anger. Rage, criticism, critical spirit, all these. Oftentimes, they're like weeds that sprout up in our emotional lives. We can't stop them. We can't stop these weeds from growing. You cannot stop, everybody have a garden? You cannot stop the weeds from coming up. But what do you do with weeds? You don't fertilize them. You don't water them. You let them wither. You can't always pull them out, and there's going to be more that come. But take, take that energy. Just let those be. And direct it. Fertilize in water. Positive emotions. If you can find some good things in your life at this point, you can water those. You can find some joy in things. You can, and gratitude, there's always things to be thankful for. There's always things. This is not easy. It isn't. You don't microwave this. It doesn't come second day air. It takes time. But if we live into hope, if we live the truth of James 1, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. I'm not there yet. Are you? If we live into that, that's a resilient kind of gratitude. And it will open up our lives in ways that just learning to be grateful for the good things and in the good things can't. A person wrote this, gratitude isn't about passive reflection. It's about building resilience. It's not just about being thankful for things that have already occurred and can't be changed. It's about ensuring the benefits of what comes next. It's about making sure that tomorrow and the day after, you will have something to be thankful for. And the way we to ensure that is to become grateful people in all things. Not just when the circumstances line up, but To be able to say, even when the tough stuff comes, God, I don't know what they are yet. But I could be thankful for some things here. Maya Angelou wrote, brilliant. She wrote, if you must look back, do so forgivingly. God forgave us for all the pain and junk we've caused for other people. That's something to always be thankful for. And to be just as grateful that God forgives the people that have hurt you. Resilient gratitude. 
Maya Angelou also wrote, if you must look forward, do so prayerfully. Knowing that whatever happens in the future, God's going to be with you. He will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. You can always look forward to the future. No matter what part of life you're in, you can always look forward to the future. And then Maya writes, however, the wisest thing you can do is to be present in the present gratefully. I don't know what is in this part of your life today where the soil of disappointment or failure or discouragement is and some of the negative emotions that are rising out of that. If you water and fertilize that, you're going to be miserable. But if you take that same attention and focus and be present in the present, even if it's difficult, gratefully, there's life. There's life and hope and joy. And we can live into that. We can. We can learn to be grateful people. In the 1600s, there was a war, big, long, called 30 Years' War. 12 million people died. A thousand people a day died in that war for 30 years. There was a pastor, a German pastor named Martin Rinker, who had a big congregation initially, but one year he buried 5,000 people, 15 a day from his congregation. And you can imagine the pain and the confusion and the difficulty that existed in that church's life and in his own mind and in his own family. And yet, one day, he got up and he wrote a poem, which we've turned into a song. And he gave it to his children. And he taught it to his kids so that they wouldn't grow up with this ingratitude and this, and this resentment and anger and rage, but that would, they would grow up and learn to be grateful people. And here's the words right here. You'll recognize it. It wasn't, I can't get no satisfaction. It's now, thank we all our God. And many of you will recognize this. And I want us, as we finish today, I want us to read these words slowly together out loud and think about, wow, this is the real spirit of gratitude here. It really is. So let's read this out loud together. Here we go. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms has led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. The line that grabbed me is, with countless gifts of love. Even in that day, in that context, this dad could teach his kids. I want you to build a spirit of gratitude, grateful people to God. All the gifts come from God Countless gifts. They were there before and they're with us today. And that's what grateful people do. We're going to end our time today celebrating communion, uh, which in some churches is called Eucharist. You would know this. Eucharist means giving thanks, thanksgiving. So we're going to do that today. Here's how we'll do it. We're going to have three stations up front, one in the back over there. And uh, during this next song, anytime you want, you could just get up from your seats and come and take the bread, which is all gluten-free, and dip it in the juice in the cup. And then 
Maybe take it back to your seat or as you walk back to your seat to express your gratitude to God. Could be a big thanks. Could be a little thank you. Let's celebrate communion together with gratitude.